Hi, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Swift Hour. I'm Keisha Berry. Today's guest is someone who's had quite a unique career experience prior to joining us here at Lean Swift, a division of Wipro. If you don't know who we are, we are a global leader in e-commerce and mobile solutions for N4 Cloud Suite products, M3, LN, FSM. We do it all. My guest today joins us because his background and experience have provided him with a deep understanding of the automotive and heavy-duty truck parts industries. And with all of the challenges impacting companies today, from labor shortages, difficulty securing and retaining qualified talent, supply chain disruptions, inflation, and the never-ending changes in customer demands and expectations, his insights in these industries bring incredible value to the table for our listeners today. He knows all things cars, trucks, and parts. I mean, this guy, he paid for college with a Mustang restoration side hustle. And believe me, I've got some questions. And not only does he love restoring old cars, but he also has an affinity for very old houses and seems to enjoy being in various states of remodels constantly and is currently living in a van down by the river. I'm kidding. He's not. (laughs) He's in his backyard with his family while he guts his entire kitchen. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the Swift Hour our guest, Kevin Lowen, Enterprise Account Executive here with us at Lean Swift Whipro. Welcome, Kevin. We're happy to have you. Thank you, Keisha. I'm very happy to be here. Look forward to our discussion today. So, you know, I got to ask, how's the remodel? How's it going? Uh, Well, it sort of looks like we blew up the kitchen. And, nice. Uh, I'm I'm living with my wife and teenage daughter in about uh, 950 square feet mother-in-law apartment. So, uh, open to any business trips anybody would like me to take. <laughs> See, I, I laugh. It gives me pleasure to to hear you living in this small space. I mean, that was bigger than my apartment in San Francisco. So I think you're going to be all right. I promise you. Um, so as I mentioned in your intro, you have spent a lot of time working with the automotive and heavy-duty truck parts industries. And I'm curious, how did you get started in that? I guess you could say I was born into the trucking industry. I mean, I was I was raised on a farm and my parents ran a custom harvesting business back mm-hmm. in the 1970s. So we owned four two-ton trucks, four combines, a couple of fifth wheel trailers. Uh, I think we had three semis at that time and mm. uh, shop big enough to pull any of them into to work on. Um, I mean, my dad still drives trucks today. You know, hearing you say all that, my son would be in hog heaven, but your dad, he's still driving trucks. I mean, that's amazing. You got to tell him he's a rock star the next time you see him. I'll I'll let him know the next time I talk to him. And now, so he drives trucks, but what about you? No truck driving school for you? Uh, No, I I, I can move one around in a pinch. Um, (laughs) But uh, in, in college, I was fixing up old Mustangs and working at a body shop to pay for for school, like you you mentioned earlier, and uh, it, I got interested in journalism, and mm-hmm. and uh, through that I actually got introduced to two guys that had just started a newspaper, and they were covering the automotive and heavy duty parts and service industries. So it it just kind of fell together the stuff I was I uh, was doing to pay for school and the stuff I was trying to learn in school. Nice um, ended up uh, um, working out together and. I actually spent the next 19 years interviewing successful owners of parts and service businesses. And, um, you know, today I, I look at the hundreds of interviews that I did with these business owners and the articles that I wrote after is, as kind of being my master's degree in the parts business. Yeah. I didn't know if they offer that in college. <laughs> the, right. The, there's one school I think in the country, but yeah. <laughs> 
amazing. So 19 years you spent interviewing all these business owners. I mean, yeah, you got your own masters for sure. And um, so who were you interviewing? Were these like the CEOs or the corporate heads? I mean, who were you talking to mainly? Uh, there was certainly some of that, but really our focus and coverage was closer to the street. I mean, we were uh, had a heavy focus on parts vendors, uh, both automotive and truck, and mm -hmm. both aftermarket and, and original equipment. Um, we also focused on owners and managers of independent service shops, uh, fleet businesses, parts rebuilders, uh, equipment vendors. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's all the way from technology companies down to, you know, people that were selling hand tools. And um, yeah, and I really found these stories of of how they interacted with each other to be fascinating. And, and a lot of times I think that's where the, the special sauce came in to why these guys were successful. The special sauce. Well, hmm, now you're in the technology business. I mean, when I think of technology, a journalism degree and newspaper experience aren't necessarily the first things that come to mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have predicted it either, uh, but it was it was actually a really natural fit. Um, yeah, I, I followed up running newspapers by going to work selling warehouse management systems and worked for one of the largest providers in the parts industry for nearly a decade. Mm. Uh, and, and when I made that transition, I discovered that a, a lot of the same skills really applied from, from what I'd been doing at the newspapers. I mean, we are providing a service that is mm -hmm. designed to solve problems. And to do that, it's really important to understand what those problems are. And that means um, asking a lot of questions and then listening. I mean, really listening to what people are telling you. Um, once, yeah, once you get the first answer, then you have to dig deeper, just like mm -hmm. we did uh, when we were doing an interview for the newspaper. And yeah, with with being a technology consultant and, and service provider, it's not really our job to apply a blanket answer. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these businesses are different from each other, even if they may be doing the same thing at the end of the day. Um, so to really understand uh, that individual business and uh, what technology they have in place, um, yeah, is, is important. And mm -hmm. once we kind of understand where they're starting from, we can overlay our knowledge of technology and how it can solve problems and create a discussion within that framework. Um, and to me, that's the fun part because it's it's kind of a puzzle to be figured out. Mm -hmm. You can really get creative and, and talk through what is best for that company. That's where you start to identify and, and develop value for the customer. And, and yeah, really, if you do it properly, Mm -hmm. You don't have to sell anything to anyone. Uh, the value of the technology and the related services either justifies moving forward with that project or it doesn't. You know, yeah, sales is quite a creative endeavor and actively listening and truly listening to the customer, their industry and what they're really trying to solve. You know, like the need behind the need is key for sure. And so now when I think about you, your secret sauce, what differentiates you from the pack is your deep knowledge of how these businesses are traditionally run, the technology that is generally available to them, and, you know, the problems that often pop up around these types of businesses. So I would think that this really allows you to bring something extra to the conversation that another technology partner might not be able to, right? At the very least, it certainly saves us time. 
Mm. Uh, allows us to get to the point faster, allows us to to drill down a little deeper into the specifics of the business be, because we already could understand it. I kind of look at my earlier career in journalism almost like it, I was attending a user group meeting every day for 20 years. Yeah, I was able to spend hours every week talking to successful business owners and learning about what helped them to excel. Uh, a lot of different models to to doing the same thing. Um, now I get to take that knowledge and use it to help other business owners. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think when somebody's thinking about about their business and about technology, one of the best ways to start to figure out, yeah, some of the benefits around modern technology is to start talking to industry peers who are already mm -hmm. leveraging that technology. Um, take time and go to you know, attend industry events, join a user group or a 20 group, um, and, and le leverage um, subject matter experts like like the people that we have here at Wipro. Um, uh, by the way, I am just one of the staff here at Wipro who has mm -hmm. decades of experience in the parts business um, and who really knows heavy-duty truck industry deeply, um, and that's distribution and manufacturing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it, It's... Our job to help you understand where technology can help your business, it shouldn't be your job to have to teach us how a parts business is being run. I don't think you could have said that better. <laughs> it's true, though. We do work with some really incredible people with a lot of experience in this industry. And so what would you say are some of the examples that separate selling truck parts from any other type of distribution business? Oh, what separates them? Um yeah, there's a lot of similarities with other distribution businesses, but mm -hmm. I, I think in truck parts, in auto parts, I think it really comes down to what the customer expectations are. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I mean, customers expect you to have most of the parts they need on the shelf and available, uh, either for immediate pickup or delivery. Um, if you don't have it on the shelf, they still expect you to get it, and often within hours or, or maybe a day. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the result, that means that parts businesses, uh, again, auto or truck have extensive inventories and within those inventories, there's a small portion of the items that, that sell in large volume. They're selling almost every day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of them that only get sold a couple of times a year. Um, so you have these large investments in inventory that really need to be managed carefully um, yeah, as businesses have consolidated and parts have proliferated, those inventories have grown larger, um, warehouses have gotten bigger, and that's all happening while profit margins are being tightened. Hmm. Um, yeah, and it's happening while qualified labor has become much more expensive. Um, so it's created a very strong argument to invest in technology to help you improve your accuracy, your efficiency, and definitely your profitability. Oh, that's a lot going on. I mean, I guess I never really thought too much about how my car got fixed or where the parts came from. I just knew I had to have it. And then everything you're saying, it's just, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most repair customers expect to be able to drop off their car or truck for repairs and pick it up later the same day. Um, I mean, you think about it, that means diagnosing the problem, ordering the parts, getting the parts delivered, uh, getting them installed, 
Um, I mean, I I find it hard to think of another uh, industry that has such high service expectations, and and it's also that the customer isn't inconvenienced. Um, and and you know, if you talk about large trucks specifically, mm-hmm. if they're down for repairs, the impact goes straight to the bottom line of that company. I mean, very few fleets are sitting with a bunch of vehicles uh, just sure. waiting in case something breaks down. They're, they're, these vehicles are way too expensive for that. So when, mm-hmm. when that truck goes down, it means that schedules aren't being kept, business is possibly being lost, and yeah, definitely customer service is taking a hit. So when you think about this, where do you think technology can have the biggest impact on these businesses? I guess if I had to pick one, uh, that keeps popping up again and again these days. Mm-hmm. It would be warehouse management. Um, yeah, having a proper modern warehouse management system. I mean, when when mm-hmm. I think about the industry and the people I've talked to, most of these businesses have a solid ERP system um, that's handling purchasing, pricing, mm-hmm. sales, at least fairly well. Yeah, it may not be. It may not be the best out there. It may not be the most modern, but it's doing them fairly well. Uh, but then you walk out into the warehouse um, and you see people receiving parts by checking them off on a piece of paper and then handing that paper to someone who records discrepancies into the ERP system. And then there's yet another person that gets it that then has to call the vendor and talk about price changes or parts that didn't get delivered. Um and then you've got your picking team walking around the warehouse with a printed pick ticket, you know, and again, a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, they get to where the parts are supposed to be on the shelf and they don't, yeah, the paper's telling them to go there, but they're not there. Um, it, it's all very inefficient. Uh, right. and, and, you know, it creates a lot of places for people to make mistakes. I think it's important to note, too, that yeah, when we're talking about Infor's warehouse management system mm-hmm. or uh, WMS, yeah, warehouse management system, um, often referred to by those initials, um, it, it can be integrated into almost any existing ERP system. So when we talk about WMS, it's really an area of the business where you can get significant automation and improvement in processes without having to rip out the heart of your business, yeah, your your ERP. Mm-hmm. So it, it gives you the opportunity to enhance and enable your current tools and systems. Well, that's nice. I mean, to get some great ROI, they don't have to start from scratch to make huge impacts on their business. But what I'm hearing you say is that they definitely need to ditch the paper. Yes, please. Um, and your your employees are asking for the same thing, by the way. Um, you know, let's again talk about the N4WMS and, and let's sort of start at the beginning. You, know, you place an order to your supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to wait till it shows up on the dock to find out about price changes and what's missing. If you have a proper WMS system, you can get an advanced shipping notice. Before it even leaves your supplier's yard, you can know which parts are missing. Your people can start sourcing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can get your price updates so that you can get those input into the system. And now the receiver is only checking the parts that they were told were shipped. Uh, and they are doing it with a scanned barcode. 
which is going to significantly increase their speed and definitely, definitely increase their accuracy. In fact, I mean, with a piece of paper, you can only have one person checking in an order, really. With scan guns, you might have five or six people working on that same order and checking it in. Um, plus, you know, a lot of systems can accept that order as being on dock even mm-hmm. before it's scanned in which means that if somebody at the counter is looking to sell something that is part of that order but hasn't been put to shelf yet, um, today you're telling your customer you don't have it. If Mm. you can show it as on dock, the guy can say, it's in the building, I can get that for you, and yeah, they can can go through the steps needed to to do so. You don't don't lose that sale. Um, Yeah, and uh, another... Another thing about, you know, the dock, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of companies have parts coming into the warehouse and then they're breaking those up to disperse them to their stores. And with a lot of systems, you have no choice but to bring them in, put them to shelf, and then um, have pickers go back and pick them. And that's a mm-hmm. lot of wasted energy and steps when with a, a, a modern system, you could just cross dock those parts. The gun would tell you at the moment you're receiving that that's mm-hmm. supposed to go into this pile to go to your other store. Just yeah, a few few of the things that that bring efficiency to it. It sounds like the dock could be, I mean, such a bottleneck. And if I was a business owner and I realized I was missing sales because I didn't know I had the product or the stock on site, that would be unacceptable. And just a sure way to erode your customer's experience or loyalty with your brand, and they'll just go shop somewhere else. Yeah, they will. Um, service in this industry is, is, um, as important as price in many cases. And if, if you don't have the part, you can't sell it. Um, and yeah, you're getting in uh, big warehouses are receiving orders throughout the night, many of them all together first thing in the morning. So you might have five or six different orders sitting there waiting to be received Mm -hmm. right as your morning rush is starting, you know, the shops that are calling you first thing in the morning. So um, plus, you know, now the person that's putting that order onto the shelf mm-hmm. is, is using the gun to be directed to the correct location. Um, and that might be the primary picking location, or it may be somewhere completely different in the warehouse that's an overstock location. But the system will recognize if that picking location is already full to send them to the overstock location. Mm. Um and, you know, you might be going around the warehouse putting away 20 or 30 parts. The system's going to determine mm-hmm. what order you should put those away to find the, the most direct path. Um, yeah, you're cutting down on the number of steps that are required, which, which means it's more efficient. Um, and then that stalker is scanning the part to the shelf location. So the system now knows exactly where the part is, even if the stalker were to put it in the wrong spot. Hmm. Uh, because you've scanned it to the shelf. And the fact that the person is being directed where to put it and it's scanning the shelf also opens up the ability to use your space more efficiently. What do you mean by that? How so? Well, I mean, traditionally, a parts warehouse put all of the parts from one brand in one area uh, Mm -hmm. in the order that they're numbered by the manufacturer. And generally, you also leave some open space Um, Mm -hmm. in case you need to fold in new part numbers that are being added to that line over time. 
And, and you did it that way because the old system often only got you to the correct row and maybe the correct shelf, but not to the specific bin. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what we need to do today. I mean, it's just not necessary. A modern WMS system like Inforce can allow you to put a part in any open space and then direct you back to that space once the part needs to be picked because you're identifying what is going where yeah. uh, in every case. And yeah, if you're if you want it to, it can even tell you that, hey, that part doesn't exist anywhere in the warehouse today. I'm going to direct you to the nearest open space that's the correct size for what you're stocking. Um, yeah, and and you know, for there's different bin sizes, right? So in, uh-huh. in some cases, we may want to put two or three part numbers in the same bin um, to use that space efficiently, or you may want six bins for the same part number. Doesn't matter. We we know where all those parts are. Um, and how many are in each of those locations. So now you get to get crazy and really maximize your warehouse and every inch, every millimeter, centimeter. I never thought about um, the importance of maximizing every inch in a warehouse before, but I mean, I get it. So, okay, Kevin, I've got a question though about labor. I mean, we know that attracting and retaining talent is huge, huge, huge across all industries and getting talented labor and getting them to stay. I mean, and for this industry, it certainly rings true. So is having a warehouse management system going to affect the type of employee that these companies are looking for? Maybe, but I, I'm not sure that it, it affects the type of person you're looking for, but I, mm-hmm. I do think it will um, help you attract and retain staff in those areas. Okay. Um, modern systems are much more similar to what the younger generation entering the workforce expects. You know, um, mm-hmm. they're not expecting green screens. They're not expecting paper pick tickets. You know, this is the type of technology that they're used to having in their hand every day. Um, and by finding areas to automate and streamline the warehouse operation makes it easier for onboarding that new employee um, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it makes that transfer of knowledge to that new employee more efficient mm-hmm. uh, and effective. And it, yeah, in doing that, it limits the business impact of attrition in in what I think we all recognize as a pretty unpredictable labor force today. Mm-hmm. True. Um, and yeah, we're also hearing terms like gamification. Um, okay. Yeah, think, think like a video game, gamification. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, if you if you start to think about that, yeah, that that scan gun um, is starting to yeah feel like a video console, and these employees are getting scored for things like how many lines they pick per hour, uh, how accurate they are being in the parts they're picking, and and you can use that to compare employees to the rest of the team. Um, yeah, if you're an employee and you rank well. Yeah, maybe you earn bonuses. Uh, certainly, it impacts promotions. Mm. Um, you, you've now kind of inserted an element of fun and competition into that workday. And um, yeah, these incentives or rewards can have a real positive impact on these employees that are doing what's sort of a you know, repetitious job every day. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's allowing you to collect a lot of data. 
Um, and that's data that management can use to improve the operations and the processes. Um, yeah, leveraging this modern technology in the warehouse allows visibility into process flows, which in turn would allow you to um, continuously monitor, uh, make adjustments, and improve the overall operational workflows. Yeah, we're, we can start to establish labor standards and other SOPs to track uh, personnel productivity. Yeah, having good data and data that you can use to look at your talent. I mean, that sounds incredible. And, you know, I'll be honest, the gamification component sounds fun. You know, I, I when I was in sales, I loved all the bonuses we could get through different, you know, um, competitions that we had. But I have to be honest, it sounds complex to me. So does this require you to have to make huge changes to your facility in order to do this? No, I mean, um, yeah. Out of the box, obviously, you need scan guns if you don't have them today and mm -hmm. some antennas and we need connectivity to your ERP. But, yeah, that those processes are, are, are very easy for people to use, those those initial ones. I mean, at, at first, I really rec don't recommend that people change um, their warehouse too much. Um, but as you gather information and as you progress the the technology is really going to start to um, suggest some changes to you I mean you can start to think differently about how you set up your warehouse and make it more efficient mm -hmm. um, yeah you you could potentially place your fast movers uh, the ones that are selling every day or almost every day regardless of brand put them all together closest to the shipping dock have dedicated pickers in that area um, and other pickers that are dedicated to other zones of the warehouse. Um, yeah, you can break up those zone sizes based on on how many parts are typically being picked in that area um, and, and even the type of product that's being picked in that area. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, could pick, I can go and pick spark plugs a whole lot faster than I can pick batteries or uh, uh, a drum of oil. So we can start taking that into account as we as we set up our warehouse and, and designate um, spaces. Okay, so I know what job I want. I'm on spark plugs. I can't do oil drums all day. <laughs> okay. No, all right. No, no worries. I've, I've cut your backs. Uh, spark plugs it is. Um, yeah. You also get with uh, these new WMS systems, you, you get... Uh, different types of picking strategies. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can now have one picker picking multiple orders, and the system is going to combine all of those orders into a single pick. It's going to generate the correct route through the warehouse to pick them with the fewest steps. And when I'm picking a part off of the shelf, I'm scanning it, it's telling me what tub to put it in, and then I'm scanning the tub to guarantee it went to the right place. So you're, you know, you're assuring your accuracy as you go, but we've also made this so much faster that now you can have a person, you know, kind of at the end of all this, that's verifying the accuracy of the pick yet again by scanning the PO against the, the parts that were picked. Um, yeah, so that's one example of sort of changing your strategy. But, you know, another would be you can prior, prioritize certain types of picks. Mm -hmm. You know, express picks can move to the top of the picking order if somebody's waiting at the counter for that part or if it's a priority customer. Um, yeah, if you're re 
doing replenishment orders for your store that go out at three o'clock every day, those can be a very low priority throughout the day. But, you know, at one o'clock, it may start to go up to a, a middle priority. And by two mm -hmm. o'clock, it may become a high priority so that I make sure nothing misses the truck before it leaves at three. Yeah. I mean, having the system prioritize the orders versus the person based on the impact to the customer sounds huge. And especially in this industry, when the quick turnaround, sometimes people need a part within an hour, right? That's like yeah. standard expectation. Absolutely. I, I also think, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, I think people sometimes don't um, really think about how much visibility into their operation they gain that is just impossible today by using a paper picking system. I and the the warehouse manager can now see workflows in real time. Mm -hmm. They can see how many picks are happening per zone, um, and they can reassign pickers to areas that are seeing high volumes. Um, or if if everything's slow, they can start to pull people off the floor to do other types of work. Yeah, that that might be cleaning. Um, that might be stocking that, mm -hmm. that might be, um, um, doing uh, cycle counts for a while. Um, you know, it's just one more way to keep your inventory as clean as possible. And, you know, at, at the end of the week that, that warehouse manager can take a look and, and compare the pickers by speed, uh, by volume, by accuracy. And yeah, again, it allows you to recognize your best staff. Mm -hmm. um, it, it also allows you to spot where training may be needed. You know, you've got somebody that's pretty good, but they're they're struggling with a particular part of it. Go, go spend a few hours and and get them up to speed. And, and frankly, um, you know, you can quickly identify those people who you might how uh, oh, you might prefer to see them working for your competitor. <laughs> oh, oh dear, <laughs> I I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, depending on the, the size and volume of your operation, you can also start to consider other automation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that could be conveyor belts. That could be you know, automated picking robots. I mean, I I remember walking into a warehouse where they had RFID tags attached to all of their equipment, and they could pull it up on their phone. So when they needed a forklift, they didn't have to go walk around looking for one. They could see that the closest forklift was two rows away. Um, so there's lots of things that technology can do to, to help you with this. Well, there's a lot going on here when I'm listening to you, but I hear some common themes. One is definitely, you know, faster, more efficiency, increased accuracy, uh, better facility and labor utilization, data you can trust, clean inventory. I mean, did I hit the nail on the head? Did does that sum it up? Yeah, I mean, Keisha, I think you're a quick study. That's nice. uh, <laughs> that's the main points. Um, but yeah, as a business owner, um, mm -hmm. I think you also need to translate each of those into a business case, right? I mean, warehouse space is becoming more expensive. So we've talked about, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that using more of your shelf space more. Uh, without having to expand, without having to spend more money on uh, on more space, mm -hmm. more specialized shelving or things like that. I mean, quality labor has become really hard to find and it's much more expensive. So we, we need a system that can help us empower our best to do better. 
And we we need that system to also allow relatively inexperienced people to be able to do the job that we need them to. And yeah, speed, accuracy, they they both have a direct impact on our customer service. I mean, customers want that part as quickly as possible, and they will select vendors based on who consistently does that. Mm. Uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, if you get it there fast and it's the wrong part, uh, all of that effort was wasted. I mean, huge cost, right? If you're delivering the wrong part, that just has a huge impact on these automotive and parts stores, right? In terms of cost to them. Yeah, I mean, it, the impact of a wrong part being delivered is substantial because all it triggers all of these extra touches. Um, and it's a hit to customer satisfaction. And frankly, even when you get the part back to your building, you may not be able to put it back into inventory. You know, they tore it open. They got it all greasy. Um, yeah, so it it may be either a complete write-off or now you have to go through a return process with your manufacturer. Oh, dear. Uh, uh, yeah. Greasy parts, open boxes. No, thank you. All right, Kevin, I know you have so much more you could share with us, but I hate to say it. Our time here on the Swift Hour is coming to a close, so I've got a two-part question for you. Um, does this only apply, everything we've been talking about, to the automotive parts industry? And then also any last thoughts for our listeners before I do let you go? No, I mean, we, we were talking about auto parts and, and heavy-duty truck parts in particular, and there are, there are some pieces of this, like how quickly the parts expected that are, are kind of unique, I think, to that industry. But most of what we've been talking about applies to any sort of a warehouse that has a lot of product coming in the front door, going to shelf, and then going back out the back door, and it needs to be, needs to be tracked properly. Um, and yeah, as far as a, a last thought here, I, I'd say that anybody that's running a high volume warehouse and still mm-hmm. using an old paper-based system needs to admit that the okay. reason it was set up that way, uh, were business conditions that frankly rarely exist today. Mm. I mean, profit margins were higher, warehouse was relative, warehouse space was relatively cheap, um, the type of labor that we needed was readily available and and pretty inexpensive. Um, and at that time, the technology was more limited, and it was the technology was very expensive. That's all been turned on its head today. And yeah. the cost of running an inefficient warehouse has grown exponentially, while the cost of the technology to run it properly has become very affordable today. So, yeah, my suggestion would be give us a call. Let's have a conversation about what your situation is, what you're using, mm-hmm. what technology might be able to do for you. And that's going to cost you nothing. Um, and if if we can't show you how to operate more profitably, um, you know, it costs you nothing. If we can, it's a win-win for both of us, right? Nice. Definitely. Yeah. And everything has changed, hasn't it? certainly since COVID even more so. But I did forget something. I have one last question for you. Are you ready, Kevin? Uh-oh. And I have to admit, it has nothing to do with, um, you know, the auto parts industry or WMS. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. Question one. What year was the first Mustang made? Uh, it was 1964. Nice. It was, it was a 1964 and a half model, even though... Um, yeah, a lot of people think of them as 1965. 
Oh, yes. Do you know the date? Uh, I do not know the date. Okay, I'll no, tell you. It's no. the day before tax day, so April 14th. Okay. <laughs> and then... So, There's good no. timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Well, and so I've been talking to my husband about this, and he's like, yeah, the pony car. I was like, oh, yeah, see, I, I have so much to learn. But um, do you know why this the Mustang was made, why Ford released it or wanted to? Um, Why they wanted to release the Mustang. I know that mm-hmm. they were looking, you know, for sort of a sporty appearing car mm-hmm. uh, and yeah it was introduced as a, a fairly low cost uh option even though it, it had good sporty looks um but now you may have me on that one nice all right good i stumped you okay so in my research i found it's because of the changing demographics the biggest population of drivers were the the boomers and they didn't want to drive a car like their parents so they wanted something sporty which you hit on and then also families were going from a one-car family to a two-car family and then hold on i just got to tell you in the first six months they sold four hundred thousand. in almost two years they sold a million mustangs in the first 23 months isn't that insane So I just had to quiz you on your Mustang knowledge. I know that's what got you through college. It's what got you with us today. We're so happy to have you. So thank you for answering my questions. And again, thank you for joining us, Kevin. We appreciate your time. And to our listeners, be sure to subscribe to The Swift Hour wherever you get your podcasts and share with others who want to hear about ways to ensure that their digitization is a success. Also, check out LeanSwift.com and Wipro.com for more industry insights and learn more about our work supporting our Infor Cloud Suite M3, LN, and FSM customers. And again, I'm Keisha Berry. And until next time, this is the Swift Hour. Swift Hour.